What's going on, Muscle Monsters? The Lion Gonzalez here, and welcome to another episode of Muscle Masterminds, where we take a fitness expert and we pretty much get actionable advice that you can take home right away and start implementing. In this episode, we are joined by none other than online physique coach, fitness model, and scientific author, Menel Henselman. He helps serious trainees to attain their ideal physique using his Bayesian bodybuilding methods, and he is, in my opinion, one of the leading experts when it comes to building muscle. So, Menno, uh, thanks for hopping on, man. I know you're a busy dude, so I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for the introduction. It's my pleasure. Awesome. So, we're going to get right into this. Um as a naturally skinny guy, I've mm-hmm. always struggled with, um, with building my calves, all right? And I know that there's tons of guys out there because I get these emails every day about whether or not it's even worth training your calves. Now, not too long ago, I came across one of your articles where you have a very specific method of training your calves, okay? I'm the guy who always thought, okay, I'm going to train my calves anyway, because if I don't, they're just going to fall further and further behind. But they never grew anyway. I started implementing this method, and now I'm not afraid to wear shorts anymore. All right? Um, Not to say that I have massive, impressive calves, but finally I'm at a point where um, people don't ask me whether or not I skip leg day. All right? And so I want to first acknowledge you for that because – Um, it's the first kind of strategy that's ever actually worked. Um, and so I want to share it with everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. so the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, because we hear it all the time, uh, the calves are harder to build than other muscle groups. Now, is there any merit to that? And could you elaborate a little bit on that? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. I think uh, there is a, a large genetic component when it comes to calves. And, um, you know, there's like a, a fat guy calves um, phenomenon where um, people that are uh, overweight and um, they, they get these huge calves. But a lot of it is fat. Uh, and part of it, it's because the soleus, which is like if you have the calves, you have like the, the big muscle on top is the gastrocnemius, and then the more flat, longer muscle underneath is the soleus. And the soleus is super, super slow twitch dominant in terms of fi- muscle fiber type composition. It's like a far outlier in terms of all the big muscle groups you have in the human body. So it tends to respond a lot better to very high volume training, like high reps per set. Um, it can handle a lot of volume. You can often train it uh, every other day, daily even if you're quite advanced. So you can, you can really hammer on the soleus. Um, but yeah, the, there is a big component there that is uh, genetically influenced. However, if you look at actual data in terms of natural bodybuilders, you find that the top ones generally have calves that are the same size as their arms. And I found that in my clients, this is also true. And um, it's also actually true for me, uh, although I haven't measured in a really long time. 
but I think most naturals can get their calves to be the same size as their arms and their neck. That's a good ballpark figure, I think, for uh, realistic goals. So that means uh, even if um, you're not super lucky in terms of uh, calf genetics, you can still get build impressive calves or at least you know respectable calves. And my story is actually the same as yours. Uh, I always tell people I have uh, paper Mario calves because it's like they're two-dimensional. Like they, they look okay from certain angles, but other angles it's like they're not there. So um, what really worked for me is uh, calf jumps. Calf jumps are like a, a very heavy calf race where you sort of cheat yourself up. So you use a bit of jumping motion and you allow uh, knee bends to occur and you can move way heavier weights away. You can do it in a leg press, a Smith machine, a standing calf race machine. Uh, standing calf race machine tends to work best, but Smith machine, leg press, they also work uh, really well. And that gives you um, like a power hitter, a compound exercise for the calves. Because mm -hmm. all major muscle groups, they have like a, a heavy compound lift that you do a bit earlier in your exercises and really hammers uh, the muscle with very heavy loads. And the calves don't really have that. Like most people in their in their programs, they just do the calves as a bit of an, an afterthought. Whereas with calf jumps, if you do them a bit earlier, you have a really good exercise that puts a lot of tension on the calves. Also because you um, you sort of cheat yourself up to lockout. So you allow a bit of jumping motion in there, but you still control the descent. You uh, achieve eccentric overloading, which puts very high mechanical tension on the muscle fibers and is a very potent growth stimulus. Yeah, so so that's what I was talking about, right? That's the strategy that I've been using. It's, it's mm. fucking amazing, by the way. Um, and I hadn't ever come across that kind of a, a workout for the calves, especially since you hear, you know, um, you know, most guys will tell you that um, that when you're using that kind of, I guess, momentum, um, mm. that you're not actually going to to hit the calves to any significant degree. Um, and in theory, it kind of makes sense. But when you actually apply it, you realize like, shit, no, this is really hitting my calves. But um, but before we get into that, because I want I, I have a few questions about that specific workout. Um, mm -hmm. Before we get into that, can you talk about some of the big mistakes that a lot of guys make when they're trying to build their calves? I know that um, for me, uh, I wasn't training them frequently enough because I didn't want to overtrain. Um, and I, I didn't know whether I should, you know, should I go heavy? Should I go light? Should I undulate the rep ranges? Um, mm -hmm. how many exercises, you know, things of that nature. So can you kind of talk about what are some of the more common mistakes you see when guys are trying to build their calves? Mm -hmm. Sure. I think, uh, the number one mistake I see is never prioritizing the calves. So people are like, oh, I do everything for my calves and, you know, it doesn't work. I can't get them to grow. And you're like, okay, so when do you train your calves? It's like, yeah, at the end of my workout. So, well, what do you think happens to your chest? If you would only do chest, you would only do flies, no compound exercises. And you'd always do them, you know, at the end of your workout where you're already super fatigued. Ammonia levels are high in the, in the brain. You're already, your muscles have been intoxicated by metabolic stress. You're fatigued, neuromuscular uh, force output has diminished, so you're you're not in an ideal condition anymore to really hammer the calves, and that's the condition you're in. You know when you're trying to train your calves as an afterthought, basically. 
Um, and it may work for, for the apps, you know, because you don't really want the apps to grow, but calves, you do actually need them to grow a lot. So uh, it just doesn't work. You need to actually prioritize them. If, if your calves suck and you want to do something about it, you need to have uh, a heavy exercise for them. doesn't have to be calf jumps, but in my experience, it works really well. Um, so do an exercise like calf jumps. You want to do those pretty heavy and you want to target uh, the gastrocnemius, like I talked about, and the soleus. And the soleus, you can target specifically with a seated calf raise because beyond the range of motion that uh, humans use during their normal gait, so when you're walking, it's like only the little bit when your legs are straight or basically straight, then the gastrocnemius can be really active. But when you bend the knee, the gastrocnemius, because it's also active at the knee, it basically helps the hamstrings. So when you're flexing the hamstrings, bending the knee, then you take the calves out of the movement of a seated calf raise. So you can then target the soleus specifically, and then you can do a lot higher reps, uh, more volume and hammer it quite frequently. So you can do that, the high volume part, and then you have the heavier, lower rep range part with calf jumps. And then if you're advanced, maybe you can add one or two more exercises, like a third exercise I often like to do is uh, use the unilateral one. So on one leg, like one legged calf raises, Classic exercise, uh, works well as like a third exercise for the calves. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a seated calf raise, because that, that's a problem in a lot of my clients, um, you can mess about on the Smith machine, uh, put it on, um, you know, you need heavy padding because you'll, you'll be moving pretty heavy weights. You put the bar of the Smith on your knees. Mm -hmm. It's pretty uncomfortable. What I found that works better often is if you sit on the edge of a, a lying leg curl, or a leg extension. And if you sit way on the edge and you turn up the padding, then you actually have an ideal platform there for uh, seated calf raises. And it's really convenient, easy to set up. So try using the leg extension or the leg curl machine uh, if you don't have a seated calf raise machine. Very cool. So <laughs> you touched on something that with the soleus, right? You, when we do the seated uh, calf raises, uh, we are essentially removing the gastrocnemius from the movement, right? And so that's mm -hmm. like the heat yeah. of the calves, right? And so this led me to believe that, well, shit, I, don't, I, sh I shouldn't do the seated uh, calf raise because it's not really hitting uh, the part of the muscle that I want to build. And you mentioned that that's important. So – would you say that that's a big mistake if I really want to maximize the size of my calves is not um, focusing on that kind of a, uh, that kind of a movement in order to build them? Because, and then can you talk about how the soleus plays a role in building size to your calves or putting size on there? Yeah, so the soleus isn't going to be as impressive as the gastrocnemius, but the soleus does span the entire leg. So a lot of people, when they don't have the best genetics, uh, often that correlates with having uh, pretty skinny ankles. So uh, you have really, really skinny lower legs. And the soleus is what's actually going to put, you know, some extra beef on the lower leg and make the lower leg a bit thicker. The gastrocnemius is just going to have, you know, that, that bulge, but it's not going to actually make the lower leg thicker. So you really want the soleus as well. Uh, and the soleus is basically underneath the gastrocnemius. So if you have an impressive gastrocnemius, and an impressive soleus, it really adds to the, um, the punch of the gastrocnemius. So, it, you know, it's not going to have 
um, like your biceps. It's not going to have like the peaks or your, or your chest. It's not something that really jumps out on the physique. But um, well-developed soleus definitely really help uh, prevent the, the skinny legs uh, look. Interesting, because I do, as you mentioned, have really skinny ankles, like ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe I'll start implementing that. So so now that we, we kind of touched on, like, you know, what kinds of exercises, um, wh- what do you think the frequency might be on training your calves for so- for someone like me, someone who just, you know, just struggles to build their calves, right? Because there's some guys who – they never do a calf raise in their life, and they've got these enormous calves. Uh, but guys like me just don't have that luxury. So mm-hmm. what, what kind of a frequency would you recommend? And would you also recommend, because you mentioned uh, prioritizing them, would you maybe put them at the beginning of your workout or maybe somewhere in the middle? Is that a big deal? Yeah. So two uh, topics, basically. One is uh, exercise priority. Like I mentioned, if you – you want to prioritize any muscle group. This doesn't just go for the calves. It goes for everything. You generally want to do it a bit further up in the exercise in your exercise list. Uh, so maybe you do it first even, but at least before you've done other exercise that the calves. So if your quads are already really big, you don't really care about your glutes getting bigger, for example, you could actually do the calf jumps before you do squats. So if you don't have like a strong priority, I would generally put squats first. But if you do want to prioritize the calves, you know, do a program where you put them first. And you'll probably find that it will really help progression. Because very roughly, you can say that the, the sooner you do an exercise in your workout, the better it progresses. And this is especially true when you're doing multiple exercises for a muscle group. Then the ones you do first, you're, you're more fresh, you're not fatigued yet, you grow more. So we see this in research uh, quite well. Um, in terms of, for example, studies on bench press and triceps extension, if you do bench press first, your pecs grow more. But if you do tricep extensions first, you get better triceps growth. So, yeah, you right, definitely which, want to I mean, uh, play around with priority. Um, and uh, in terms of frequency, I'm, I'm pretty big proponent of higher frequency training. It's like what my method is known for. Uh, but you should build it up according to your recovery capacity and uh, how advanced you are. So if you're if you're like a newbie, you probably don't need to hit your calves more than about twice a week. Uh, but if you're a really advanced guy, you can probably hit them every day. So in between that, you have like hitting them once every three days in Nova stages, hitting them every other day when you're intermediate, maybe daily when you're advanced. So I, f- I find that works well to build it up because as you get more advanced, you become more resistant to metabolic stress, to muscle damage, uh, muscles tend to heal faster. So um, I find that works really well. Cool. Awesome. So I know you have like, like a three step process, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least that's how, that's the, that's how the article is, um, is laid out. And I know you kind of touched on the three different things, um, but not in a step-by-step process. So could you kind of just go through that process, maybe the three things, um, for, for calf training based on that article that, and, and I'm pretty sure you know exactly which one I'm talking about. Could you just kind of go over that? And then I want to, once we do that, then I want to talk a little bit about the calf jumps, why they work, um, why people are wrong by saying that um, if we use that kind of momentum, 
it doesn't really train the calves and instead maybe you're hitting the quads. But we'll get into that uh, a little bit later, but can we just kind of quickly go over, you know, that three-step uh, process? Right, so in the, in the article I have three major points, as you said. And the first is that, you know, people have to quit moaning about their genetics. I know exactly what it's like to have shitty calf genetics. Uh, you can still build at least respectable calves, even though maybe you're not gonna have Olympia level calves. Uh, if you look at the actual data on natural bodybuilders, you know, the potential is there. Most people can get their calves the same size as their, their neck and their upper arms, roughly. So uh, don't moan about your genetics, but you should worry about it, your training. Uh, that's point number two, exercise priority. Uh, like we just touched upon, you want to, if you prioritize the calves, actually prioritize them. Put them a bit earlier in your workouts. Do them before you've hit the calves with other exercises like squats, deadlifts actually prioritize them if you really care about uh, growing them in a certain program. Uh, and the third point is that you need to hit the gastrocnemius and the soleus uh, with something like a seated and a standing calf raise. And calf jumps really do wonders for most people as the, the heavy hitter, like the lower rep range, uh, compound exercise for the calves. So um, I'm a big fan of those. Um, you can find the exercise uh, description. I have one uh, on a leg press and uh, one of my guys on the calf race machine. Um, we can link to that so you can see how it looks. Uh, in terms of the momentum, it's um, you use the momentum during the concentric and it actually uh, helps you overcome the sticking point because like with most calf raises, if you think about it, the calves actually move up in sort of a rotary fashion. So you have the, uh, uh, the hinge is basically the ankle and it, it rotates around where your, uh, your toes are. So it goes up like this. This is what the, your feet are doing. Your feet isn't going up and down like this, it's going like this. So most people, especially at the top of the movement, they experience a really pronounced sticking point. It's the point where you basically fill the rep and you get stuck. So, um, if you allow a bit of knee bending, you'll find that the resistance curve or the match between your strength curve and the resistance curve comes a lot smoother and you don't experience that sticking point because you uh, can use knee bend and that jumping momentum to uh, overcome that sticking point, which means you're still overloading the other part of the exercise. And you often see when people go heavy on calf jumps, it's like the first part is a natural calf race, but then their knees come in a bit, they jump that last bit, up to full ankle lockout, and then they control the descent. So you're still overloading the first part very heavily, but you're using now heavier weights actually than if you weren't doing the jumping motion. So you can overload the first part of the movement, then you skip the stip, the skip or the sticking point, go up to full lockout, control the descent, and then you also overload the eccentric, which in research has been found to result in extra muscle growth. And Without so specific what's Sorry, yeah. what was that? So it's often hard so, uh, for specific equipment to uh, to overload the eccentric, like the, the downward phase of the movement where the muscle is lengthening. Uh, but with calf jumps, if you use momentum during the concentric, but not the eccentric movement, so you use momentum to get up, but not to get down, then you can really overload the descent. And like you say, if people say, well, if you're using momentum, you're not uh, putting tension on the quads, do, do a session of calf jumps and you'll feel the tension. The tension is really, really high because you, you're using uh, weights that are often 
a lot higher than what you can squat. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, so I've heard before that um, when, we, when we come all the way down, right, we get that nice stretch on the calves during, during whatever calf training we're doing. Um, and, but then we talk about the stretch reflex, right, and kind of how, you know, just like coming down and then bouncing right back up. Um, again, kind of just is more talking about, you know, that momentum, right? And how it maybe, uh, maybe you're not training your calves as effectively when that happens. And so some guys will recommend that maybe at the bottom of the lift, you mm-hmm. kind of just hang out there, keep that stretch for a few seconds, and then p- maybe power back up. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you can still do that with calf jumps. Uh, so, the, I mean, the momentum you use in a calf jump is during the, ex- the concentric phase. So it's when you're already going up, then you use the momentum. Uh, but I don't think you have to avoid um, an, the stretch shortening reflex and actually uh, pause in the bottom position for a few seconds because, yes, you get a very high uh, purely elastic component, especially because of the Achilles tendon. If you actually bounce, then uh, a lot of that force that is being produced is passive force. So it's not actually your muscles producing the force. It's just the elastic recoil from the connective tissues, the tendon, uh, that basically allow you to bounce back up. Now, if you're actually seeing someone bounce and you're, you're really letting yourself fall, then you're not controlling the movement and you're not overloading the eccentric. So I would definitely not recommend that. But as long as you are controlling the downward phase, you don't have to shorten it that much. So if you reach full stretch in the bottom position, you do want to actually make sure that you reach that point, but you don't have to actually pause there, I think, because yes, you get uh, part of the the force that you produce is passive, but it doesn't harm uh, muscle force either. And actually, the stretch shortening cycle has uh, a part in it that's beneficial for muscle activation as well, because when a muscle is being stretched, it basically sends a signal um, that it needs to produce force to avoid tearing. So we actually see that muscle activation rates are potentiated, so they are a bit higher when the muscle is stretched shortly beforehand. So you get a large component that is passive, but you also get a positive uh, active component. So you don't have to avoid the stretch, um, and I would not recommend pausing too long in the bottom position. Um, just okay. make sure to control the movement. Gotcha. And so you say control, and you know when people hear control, they often think slow, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the case, sometimes it's not, right? Because right. when we we want to control the negative, for example, on the bench press, that doesn't mean we got to take four seconds to bring it down, and that might not be the best thing to do on the bench press. Mm-hmm. So with the calves, because they are. Uh, to most people, right, even to myself for quite some time, just different than every other muscle, which I kind of think we're finding now that they're actually quite similar to all other muscles, right? And so are we really going like, you know, slow and and then getting down to that deep stretch and then kind of coming back up? Or does control just really mean control, right? Just don't let the momentum of the weight, you know, just bring you back down and then bounce back up. Yeah, a good um, guideline that I often use with my clients is I tell them, 
you should be able to stop the movement at any point if you wanted to. So you're not actually going to do it, but if I asked you uh, during the, you know, that, that final rep, you would pause halfway uh, down, you should be able to do it. So if you're actually you know, you're just free falling, bouncing down, then you actually cannot stop the movement because you're, you're basically a free fall. So gotcha. I think that, that is a useful rule of thumb for most people to get you know, their, their mind on what control means. Right, okay, and so then one last thing. Because I noticed that when I was doing these on the, the, the standing calf raise machine versus um, the leg press, right? Because I, I, I'm at a new gym now and they don't have the standing one. I have to do them on the, on the leg press machine. Uh, it seems as if I'm not really getting as deep on the negative. Is that just my perception from where I'm and what be causing that and is it a big deal it is different um, some leg press machines just don't work very well in my experience uh, the, the closed chain ones which basically means that uh, you are moving so your your legs or your feet are on a certain pad and the pad is fixed in place and you in the whole sled they move away from the pad those machines tends to work better than the ones where um, you know, you push the pad away and you are seated fixed in a certain position. Those are open kinetic chain, as they're called. So closed chain, where you push your whole body away, tends to work better, but it varies a lot because the angle of the, the pad where you put your feet on and the seat are just a bit different in different leg press machines. And I generally have clients uh, experiment if they have multiple options to do the exercise, which works better uh, when possible. Like generally, it varies per person, but generally, standing calf raise machine is ideal. Uh, Smith machine always works well, but it's not as um, comfortable to do the exercise there, especially because of the super heavy loads uh, on your traps, which can cause some bruising at first. And um, uh, third one being leg press machines. But sometimes certain leg press machines, they, it's like they're perfect for your anthropometry, your, your body dimensions. So they can work really well, just a matter of experimentation there. Right, but still probably better than not going that route, right? Like it would still make sense to do the the jumping version as opposed to um, the regular yeah. just because of that issue. Because, I mean, I guess you would get that issue either way you went, so it would probably just be better to load it up and do it that way, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, sometimes it's even more important to do the, the jumping motion because – uh, when you're not able to really go down into a full stretch with your knees straight, you can still get that range of motion for the calves if your knees bend. Because if uh, your feet can only go like this, you can get more stretch in the ankle if uh, the lower leg goes like this. So if you can only end up here with straight legs, it's like it's only 90 degrees, but you can still reach a full stretch if you allow your knees to come forward. And the sticking point tends to be the very worst when the machine doesn't really fit your body dimensions, because then the machine really doesn't allow that natural hinge movement of the ankle joint to occur. And uh, it's extra important to allow a bit more natural movement to occur. Gotcha, okay. So the way I was doing it is basically, you know, I would jump up, right? Get that nice solid contraction at the top, 
then I would control down. And I feel like at that point, my legs are kind of straightening out. And by the time I'm at the, at the bottom, my legs are kind of straight. So you're saying that maybe um, keep the, 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 the knee a little bit bent so that I can get the deeper stretch on, on the eccentric. Is that right? Yeah, you can allow them. Um, you can keep your legs straight uh, during the descent and get that full stretch. But during the concentric, when you're pushing up again, then you want to allow your knee to come forward. I see what you're saying. Gotcha. So when, so when you allow the knees to come forward, that allows you to dip a bit further down before you initiate the concentric. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, cool. I think we pretty much got everything. So what I want to do is kind of leave everybody with something very actionable, right? So would you be able to kind of give us like maybe, okay, this is a routine that you can do two or three times a week and then kind of progress from there. Um, sets, exercise. Um, obviously we know that if we really want to prioritize, we'll put it at the beginning. Um, if it's not a huge deal somewhere in the middle and if we really kind of don't care, we'll put them at the end. But can you just go over like what exercises, sets, reps, those details? Sure. Yeah, I can give some uh, some template ideas. Like I'm, I'm not a fan generally of cookie cutter uh, programs because, mm. uh, you know, as a, as a coach, I'm always big onto uh, individual customization, taking recovery status, gender, all those things into account. But like as a novice, start with calf jumps. Uh, later, you can add seated calf raises, like calf jumps. They respond quite well to like 80, 80, 70% intensity range, like 8 to 12 reps that would be for most people. Uh, seated calf raises, do them as accessory work. Start with like 60% sets of 20 or something. Uh, and then you can work up as you get more intermediate to an intermediate level. Uh, maybe you start adding single leg calf raises with a more intermediate status. The calf jumps, you can move up to like 85%. Uh, six to eight reps, maybe five reps for some people uh, when you really can go heavy and you can control the movement. And then you can do the unilateral uh, calf raises for more like 80, 70%, so eight to 12 reps. Uh, you can do those a bit later in the workout as well. They don't suffer as much from being done later like calf jumps do. Um, and uh, see the calf work, you can do more at the end of the workouts because the soleus is really resistant to fatigue. So as long as you uh, still got the willpower to exercise your calves at that point, um, seated calf work you can actually do at the end of a workout. And you can do that sure. as you get more advanced, more like the 70%, 12 rep ranges, uh, that kind of area. So when you're talking about an advanced individual, you'd have those three exercises and you rotate through them. Uh, if you're doing a high frequency kind of training, intermediate, you want to have at least like one rest day out of three or uh, alternate like calf jumps, rest, seated calf raise, rest, calf jump, rest, something like that. Gotcha. Okay. And and I know you're not a fan of like you know the cookie cutter shit and like, but mm -hmm. I know we're gonna people are gonna ask right. How, you know how many sets should I do with this? How many sets should I do with that? Uh, and, and I know there's not one answer for everyone, but is, is there kind of a, a guideline? You know, if we're gonna be doing them, say for example, you know twice a week, we might want to do less volume. Um, as opposed to if we're doing them three times a week, things like that. But what's like a, a like a standard guideline for mm -hmm. for you know for each one? Yeah, volume is really really individual. Um, but as a range, you're looking at so you're looking at pretty broad range, right? So in term, depending on your gender, how advanced you are, but you're cutting or you're bulking, your stress level, sleep. Uh, you're looking at a range like 
10 to 30 for most people. So like a novice, a hard gainer type, you'd be looking at like 10 sets a week. Whereas mm-hmm. an advanced individual sleeping well, bulking, uh, everything's in order, uh, especially women, they can go up to like 30, uh, sometimes even higher. But that, that's quite rare in my experience that people actually still recover from that. So quite a wide range. Um, most people will fall somewhere in the middle of that. Cool. Perfect. All right, man. So you've, you've given a lot of value and obviously I follow a lot of your work. Um, uh, I've read tons of your articles and any time one of the podcasts I listen to uh, features you, I, I download it and listen to it. Um, um, so I, I really enjoy your stuff and I know that you're bringing a lot of value to the community. In fact, I believe you even have your own personal training certification. Uh, a lot of guys are going to want to follow you, follow your work. Um, where can they find you? Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about that personal training certification and anything else that you've got going on? Sure, yeah. Uh, the main two things I do, um, is I started as an online physique coach, and uh, I still do that full-time. Um, so that's sort of my main business, but as I got more and more requests from people to, you know, get my method into more of a, a whole program. Um, that became like a mentorship program and that grew to the current PT course, which now uh, is doing incredibly well. It's been translated into four languages that are up and running, uh, all very successful. Uh, the, the English version um, has started already. I think we're full this round, but people can still sign up for the next round. Um, it's really comprehensive, it's fully online, uh, and it basically details my full Bayesian bodybuilding method, but it's now also there's a whole research team behind it, Cambridge PhD, powerlifter, competitive bodybuilder, uh, international level boxer, a journalist, a psychologist. Uh, we've got a big team now, um, big research team uh, that is full-time on the course for uh, extra research uh, to make it even more comprehensive and always stay up-to-date on the latest science. So uh, people can find everything on BeijingBodybuilding.com, uh, especially on Facebook. We give out tons of uh, free stuff and um, the study of the spotlight feature, as we call it. So we go into a certain study, we create an infographic for it, show people what you know the takeaways are, uh, what the information is in the study in a very easy, you know, one image uh, kind of graphic. Very cool, man. Very cool. So what I'm going to do for everybody who's watching. Um, is I'm going to link to all of that in the description below so they can you know check out your stuff, check out your work, really go in there and check this stuff out. And if you ever see his name come up on any podcast, believe me, it's going to be worth listening to. Uh, I know it has been for me, and I'm always learning uh, you know, from you and, and a lot of the guys. Like, you know, uh, I'm sure you're very familiar, Mike Isriatel, uh, Brad Schoenfeld. Mike's and all good, yeah. I plan on having them on on as well. In fact, I, I've got something lined up with Mike pretty soon. Uh, so just you know, keep up the great work, man. I'm, it's very impressive. Uh, you're making a, a huge impact on the community, and um, and I just want to thank you for taking your time. I know you're a busy dude, you know, and just coming on here, uh, especially since I don't have this massive audience. But um, you know, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it, and I hope we can connect soon. Sure. Thanks, man. My pleasure.